Praise God. Praise the Lord. Praise him from the heavens. Praise him in the heights. Praise him, all his angels. Praise him, all his heavenly armies. Praise him, sun and moon. Praise him, all ye shining stars. Praise him, highest heavens and you waters above heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for he commanded and they were created. He set them in position forever and ever. He gave an order that will not pass away. Praise the Lord from the earth, all sea monsters in ocean depths, lightning and hail, snow and cloud, stormy wind that executes his command, mountains in all hills, fruit trees in all cedars, wild animals in all cattle, creatures that crawl in flying birds, kings of the earth in all peoples, princes and all judges of the earth, young men as well as young women, old and young together, let them praise the name of the Lord, for his name alone is exalted. His majesty covers heaven and earth. He has raised a horn for his people, resulting in praise for his faithful ones to the Israelites, the people close to him. Hallelujah. Sing to the Lord a new song, his praise in the assembly of faithful. Let Israel celebrate its maker. Let the children of Zion rejoice in their king. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and lyre. For the Lord takes pleasure. Let that sink in in his people. He adorns the humble with salvation. Let the faithful celebrate in triumphal glory. Let them shout to the Lord on their beds. Let them in the exaltation of God with their mouth and, and a double-edged sword be in their hands, inflicting vengeance on the nations and punishment on the peoples, binding their kings with chains and their dignitaries with iron shackles, carrying the judgment decreed against them. His honor is for all his faithful people. Hallelujah. Praise God in this sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his powerful acts. Praise him for his abundant greatness. Praise him with the blast of a ram's horn. Praise him with harp and Larry, praise him with tambourine and dance. Praise him with strings and flute. Praise him with resounding cymbals. Praise him with clashing cymbals. Let everything that breathes praise the Lord. Hallelujah. We serve a mighty, mighty God. He is all powerful. He is a good, good God. And if you have placed your faith in your trust in Jesus Christ, then he invites us to, to call him Father. Right? He invites us into his family. It's not reversed. We do not invite him merely into ours. We are not his father. Rather, he is our father's. He has adopted us into his family. It was Ravi Zacharias that says, when God is our holy father, sovereignty, holiness, omniscience, and immutability, do not terrify us. Rather, they leave us full of awe and gratitude. Sovereignty is only tyrannical if it's unbound by goodness. Holiness is only terrifying if it is untempered by grace. Omniscience is only taunting if it is unaccompanied by mercy. And immutability is only torturous if there is no guarantee of goodwill. In his commentary on Psalms 139, which will be our passage for this morning, Warren Wearsby said what we think about God and our relationship to him determines what we think about everything that makes up our busy world. 
other people, the universe, God's world, God's will, sin, faith, and obedience. Wrong ideas about God ultimately lead to wrong ideas about who we are and what we should do, and this leads to a wrong life on the wrong path toward the wrong destiny. In other words, theology, the right knowledge of God, is essential to a fulfilled life in this world. Right? And in our passage for this morning, um, King David, he contemplated God and he wrote for us a psalm whose message can only encourage us to be in a right relationship with him. So if you look with me, Psalm 139, beginning in verse one, it says, Oh Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting and my uprising. Thou understandest my thought from afar off. Thou compassest my path and my lying down and art acquainted with all my ways, for there is not a word on my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest that altogether thou hast beset me behind and before and laid thine hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is too high. I cannot attain unto it. Church, our God is omniscient. That is to say that He has all knowledge. And my purpose in making this point, it's not to try to describe with any sort of like completeness, right, the the, the bearing that such a truth would have on the entire universe and everything in it, right? For we don't have the time and I don't have the brain power, but rather when I speak of the all-knowingness of God, his omniscience, I just want to bring it a little bit closer to home. God knows all men. Right, David's not writing to himself alone, right? In the heading of my Bible, um, right, I have, obviously I have the passage, I have Psalm 139, and then uh, I have a small sentence that just is kind of like a summary statement, but right there is the heading, it says, to the chief musician, a Psalm of David, right? To the chief musician, that's proof that these words, they're intended to be set to music, Right, for the use of public worship, right? The entire congregation was to use and sing this psalm, right? The words were to be adopted by every member. Thus, every person in the world may say with truth, Oh Lord, thou hast searched me. Thou hast known me. God knows all men, but not just in some general sense. Rather, God knows all men thoroughly. Right, he knows all of our thoughts. Verse one, O Lord, thou hast searched me and known me. Thou knowest my downsitting, my uprising. Thou understandest my thought afar off. And afar off is not a reference to like space. Right, like God knows our thoughts even though he's far away. No, David says, you know my thought from afar off. He's saying, you know my thoughts before I even think them. Before it reached the synapse of my brain and actually like became a thought, you knew it. Charles Spurgeon said, remember, thoughts are speech before God. He knows all of our thoughts, and he knows all of our words, and he knows all of our actions. Verse 3, thou compassed my path, my lying down, and art acquainted with my ways. There is not a word on my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it all together. The entire universe, every human life, every step and every individual course is perfectly known by our God. Right? And not a word is uttered by human tongues that escapes his ear. Not only does he know all men thoroughly, but he knows all men constantly. Right? Notice again verse 2. 
Thou knowest my down-sitting and uprising. In other words, you know when I rest, you know me in my action. Verse 3, my path and my lying down. He knows our daily conduct, right? And he knows when I sleep. At the end of verse 3, you are acquainted with all my ways. Right? Not only does God know us all, but he knows us all thoroughly and he knows us constantly. Verse 4, there is not a word on my tongue, but lo, O Lord, thou knowest it altogether. Thou hast beset behind me and before and hast laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It's too high. I cannot attain it. God knows every word, every thought, every action from the moment that we rise till we lay our head back down at night. There is not a word. There is not a thought. There is not a deed that eludes our great God. Right? And David says, listen, I don't get it. I don't understand how it's even possible. Right? I mean, the very thought of it makes my head spin. That knowledge is too high. It's too wonderful for me. I don't understand it. It's out of my reach. But it is still yet no less the truth. Our God is omniscient. Our God is omnipresent. David does not treat this attribute of God as some sort of like metaphysical concept. Right, we don't base this attribute on some sort of like speculative or, or abstract reasoning. Rather, David treats this as a monumental and a monumentous and practical truth. Verse seven: Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Or whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take up wings in the morning and I dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there thy hand shall lead me and thy right hand shall hold me. If I say surely in darkness shall so cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the day and the darkness and the light are both alike unto thee. God is personally everywhere. Right, but David's not a pantheist. Right, this God is everywhere present in creation, yet distinct from creation. Right, God is everywhere, but he is not everything. All things have their being in him, yet he is distinct from all things. He fills the universe, but is not mingled with it. Not only is God personally everywhere, God is everywhere all the time. Verse 13, thou hast possessed my reins, thou hast covered me in my mother's womb, and I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works, that my soul knoweth right well. My substance was not hid from thee when I was made in secret and curiously wrought in the lowest parts of the earth. Thine eyes did see my substance. Yet being unperfect, and in thy book all thy members were written, which in continuance were fashioned, when as yet there was none of them. God is everywhere, all of the time. Right from the womb through the tomb. And if you don't believe me, and you don't believe David, ask Jonah who tried to outrun the presence of God. Right, like it or not, there's nothing you can do about it. It's a fact. You have never, ever not been with God. Right, not for one second have you ever been alone. Not last week, not Sunday morning, not at worship, not Friday night at midnight, not when you took that online test for your certification, right? Not when you yelled at your wife, not when you were at prom in high school or when you did your taxes or when the clerk at the gas station gave you back too much money or when you were really, really, really nice to that stranger for no reason, right? At your worst and at your very best, God is there 
all of the time, even until the end of time. That's why Proverbs 5, 21 says, The ways of men are before the eyes of the Lord, and he pondereth all his goings. What comes into your mind, what, what floods into your heart, when you hear about God's omniscience, his omnipresence, right? When, when you hear that God is all-knowing and that he is everywhere all the time for the end of time, what floods into your heart has everything to do with who you think God is. Right? If you think that God is vengeful and he is angry, then this doctrine probably brings about some sort of like feelings of fear. Anxiety, like he's, he's, he's watching over us like some sort of Santa Claus figure just, just waiting for us to blow it so he can stick coal in our stocking and, and bless someone else instead. God's knowledge and his, and his presence and his surveillance over us, it should, it should bring about a source of strength and support. Right? He watches over you so he can back you up, not so he can build some case against you and blackmail you later. Right? And if you truly understand the Father's all-knowingness and his, his ever-present presence, then the result should be increased power, not paranoia. Right? Because the one who knows all and is present at all times has your back whether you feel his presence that day or not. Right? He is a good, good God, and he is for you. Psalm 118, verse 6, it says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. Paul wrote in Romans 8, he said, what shall we say then to these things? If God be for us, who can be against us? He said he spared not his own son, but he delivered him for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? And he said, who shall, who shall lay anything at the charge of God's elect? It is God that justifieth. Who is it that he condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather is risen again. Who is even at the right hand of God who maketh intercession for us? Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? As it is written, for thy sake we are killed all the day long. We are counted as sheep for the slaughter. But Paul says, nay, it's not so. Right? In all things, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. For I am persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, or principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. God loves you and he is for you. If you ever doubt that, just take a quick trip to the cross. God is for you. He sacrificed himself in order to save your life. And listen, newsflash, he knows the end from the beginning. Right? He's never been surprised. Has it ever occurred to you because he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, right? He knows all and he is everywhere, right? Nothing, nothing has ever occurred to him. Right? He has all knowledge. He exists outside of time because he created time. That means he sees the end from the beginning, right? He's not hoping that you're going to blow it. He knows you're going to blow it. Right? He knew your mistakes before you made them, and he loves you anyways. Romans 5, 8, it says God proved his love towards us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And that leads us into one great and, and monumental truth for this morning. 
right? The, the truth that has the power, I believe, to, to, to change and reshape and redefine relationships with the Lord, right? Redefine them from this powerful puppeteer or this, this taskmaster into a good, good father, right? And that truth is this. His presence is not based on our performance. God's presence in your life is not based on your performance. He is who he is before I ever was. The prophet Isaiah wrote in chapter 40, he said, Who hath directed the spirit of the Lord, or being his counselor hath taught him? In whom took he counsel, and who instructed him, and who taught him in the path of judgment, and who taught him knowledge, and showed him the way of understanding. Listen, there is nothing that you or I have ever done in thought or in deed that is added to his knowledge. And his presence has everything to do with who he is, and nothing to do with who I am, or what I've done. Right? That means, listen, it, maybe, maybe you bobbed when you should have weaved or you zigged when you should have zagged. Right? God is still with you. He's not only with you on your good days or more with you on your good days. Right? I don't care what skeletons you have in your closet, what you've done, whether you were once on drugs behind bars or you have a drinking problem or your marriage failed. The things that are behind you are no match for the one who is with you. And the truth of our God is that he is a good, good, good father. And he is for you. I just want to ask you this morning, who is he to you? I mean, personally, I'm not talking like, who is he once at one point in your life, but right now, here today, this week, who is God to you? When truth becomes personal, it becomes profitable. Even though God is omnipresent, there is one place that he will not invade unless invited. And that is the human heart. We see this principle in Revelation 3, verse 20. He refused to invade the church. He refused to invade the hearts of the church. And he says, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. And I will sup with him and he with me. God wants a relationship with you. But listen, apart from a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, that relationship is impossible. For all have sinned, Romans tells us, and come short of the glory of God. The Bible goes on to teach us in Romans 6.23 that there's a wage or there is a payment for that sin. We have earned something for our sin. It teaches us that that wage or that payment is death. Right? And it's not just referring to a physical death. It's also referring to a second death, an eternity separated from God in a place that the Bible calls hell. But Romans 5, verse 8, it says that God proved or he commended his love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So my son is he's 10 months old. He's up here singing in the praise team sort of this morning. His laughter is contagious. His smile can, it can light up the room. He crawls, he squeals, he waves, he claps, he drools, and he bites. And while he's a big boy for his age, he is helpless and defenseless. He can do nothing to protect himself or to save himself. But I promise you, when I am in the room, that is the safest person there. Because there is nothing I won't do to protect him. Nothing. And while that statement is sincere, 
and I mean it from the bottom of my heart, my powers are limited. I am limited. I am limited in power and ability, right? I am limited in my presence. I can't be with him at all times, but that's not the case with our God, our Father. God loves you so much. He is so powerful, so mighty, and he spared nothing to prove it. He came to this earth in the form of his only son, Jesus, and he paid for our sin with his death on the cross. That's why John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Romans 10.13, it says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This morning, I just like to have all heads bow. If you're here this morning and you've never um, called upon the name of the Lord, as we enter into this time of response, I just want to ask you why not now? Why not today? There will never be a day when you can make it more right with God than right now. There will never be a day when he is closer to you than he is today, right now, at this moment. If you don't have a relationship with him, then why not now? There will never be a time when you can make it more or less right. That's why the Bible says, now is the day of salvation. You don't have to prepare. You don't have to get your life right first. I promise you it doesn't work that way. He is as here now as he's always been. So if you've never entered into a relationship with him, maybe you say, Travis, listen, man, I don't, I don't even pray. I've never even prayed before. I don't even know where to begin to call out upon God. Right where you're at this morning, man, you could just say, you could just say a short prayer that goes something like this. God, I know I'm a sinner. God, forgive me of my sins. I, I don't know it all and I don't understand it all, but God, I need you. So God, I open the door of my heart to you. Come in and be Lord and Savior and Father of my life. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.